So thank you guys so much for coming. Um, as she said, my name is Michael. Um, kids call me Mr. Michael. I've been working with kids now for, well, about, I don't know, long, 28 years, right, Michelle? I don't know, a long time we've been doing this. Um, and we're just grateful to be here. I, it's nice to know your calling, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to work with kids until I'm too old and smelly and they don't want me to hug on them anymore. <laughs> but until then, this is what I'm going to do, and I love it. Um, we have such a great team. Chase and Daisy's amazing. They run the whole thing, and we've got all these great helpers. Last week, I was gone for a funeral, and Noah stepped up and just did it for me and did an amazing job. So it's just so great to be a part of this. It really is. <laughs> um, and uh, I do want to thank you for your prayers. A lot of you knew that my father passed away about a week and a half ago, and I got a ton of just support and prayers and just great stuff. And just so you guys know, the ones that knew about that, I'm doing pretty good. We're doing well. Um, I don't know if he, if he ever met the Lord or not. He was born and raised LDS and was a Jack Mormon for 60 years. And finally, when he died last year for the second time, <laughs> he's died three times. Um, but the second time after he died, I was able to say, Dad, you know that God's not done with you, right? And for the first time in his life, he said, yeah, I think so. And I was able to talk to him. So I don't know where his heart is. But I know where my God is good, and I'm believing, right? So, so today, um, we're going to go ahead and get started. I, I, I'm not a slide person, because in kids' church, we do it different every week. So I literally make like, I made like 12 slides. That's it. So pretty much just listen and go with it from there, all right? Uh, we will have them up. I have a great team back there. Um, so we're going to start today at the, uh, we're ending Matthew chapter 5, the last little pit. So while you're looking that up, I'm going to uh, pull out a little uh, quote here. This was from a book on um, knights, because I did a class with kids I created myself. It was a seven-week class that we did on raising a modern-day knight. And we did this where the kids learned. It was all boys, and the women did another thing under, for, under my wonderful wife. But on mine, we talked about chivalry, loyalty, honor, leadership, seven weeks. They got knighted at the end. I still have kids that are now you know, 18 to 20 years old that still have their knight's ring still have their pledge up on the wall. So it was a wonderful experience. But this is a quote from that. This is what I would start it with. But with our lesson today, it's for a different reason, and it goes really well. So listen to this with me. It says, King Philip II of France was dining with dignitaries when a messenger entered the royal chamber. He bore ill tidings. The courier spoke softly to Philip, furtively shielding the news from curious ears. As the king strained to listen, watchful guests directed, I'm sorry, detected a look of sadness in his eyes. Their interest was piqued, but they knew to say nothing. Minutes passed. Finally, the king turned toward his friends, Guillaume de Bars, and said, Have you heard what this messenger has told me? What is it? responded Bars. By my faith, replied the king, he has come to tell me that William, the Earl of Pembroke, is dead and buried. Silence fell upon the gathered nobility. Slowly, reverently, voices began to speak out in praise of William Marshall. Their admiration was devout and sincere. It arose from hearts well acquainted with the bravery of William's deeds and the content of his character. Said Jean de Rouvry, an intimate of King Philip, Sire, I judge that this was the wisest knight we have ever seen in our age. Then it was left to the king to summarize the group sentiments. He said simply, William Marshall was, in my judgment, the most loyal man and true that I have ever known in any country I have been. Now that's powerful tribute for any friend. But what makes this so special is... They were enemies. King Philip was the king of France, and William Marshall was the knight of England, and they were at war. So today, I have this, <laughs> the extremely enviable position of getting to talk about loving our enemies. 
Yeah, yeah Michelle found this shirt, and she made me wear it with Vader on it, <coughs> saying, love your enemies. Uh, so um, we're going to talk today about love your enemies, but I, I, I've heard, who in here has heard a sermon on love your enemies before? Pretty much almost of you, okay? I'm going to do my very best to change it up a little bit. Because I've heard those sermons too, right? We always talk about um, being the better person and the, you know, the different types of love and choosing to love your enemy. And my, you know, my favorite is the whole Zen subject, which is where if, if you hate your neighbor, you're really, you know, your enemy, you're really hating yourself. You're only hurting yourself, right? Yeah, he's a bad guy. That's what we always say, right? <laughs> so, well, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to do my very best to not tell you once to choose to love your enemies. Okay, I'm going to try it a little bit different today. Um, if we have that verse up now, I don't know if we're going. Okay, yeah, we're going to go through that last of uh, the last few verses of Matthew chapter 5, and then we'll pray and get started. This is Jesus speaking. We're finishing this, the, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount here. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for being in this place today, for this wonderful group of people. And for your message, Lord. And once again, you've given me a message to preach that I'm the first one that needs to hear. Father, I need this in my heart so bad. And I pray right now that you will be here, that you'll get me out of the way, and that your words will come through. Have your spirit be in this place today. And let those that are here and the ones that are watching to be blessed and to know that you have a heart for them. And Father, I pray that you'll just be big in this place today. Have your spirit big in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, so when they assigned this to me, this wonderful Love Your Enemies sermon, I, uh, I went and immediately read the, uh, the verses, and I have to say, it was interesting, because two things popped out of me right away. Um, the first one is just one that I just love, in the fact that Jesus is quoting. There's, if you look at your Bible, if you have an old school Bible, it has a little number on there. It tells you where he's quoting, right? It says, Jesus says, love your neighbor. And it says right in there where he's quoting. He's quoting from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Okay, and what's so fun about this, he says, uh, you've heard it say, hate your enemies, love your neighbors. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it actually say, hate your enemies. It doesn't say that anywhere, okay? So I'm going to read you what he quoted there to see what these people were doing. This one verse, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. That's the whole verse. I don't see anything in there that says, hate your neighbor. I'm sorry, hate your enemy. So why did Jesus say that? It's good. He said that because what have they been doing for the last few thousand years? How had they translated that in their heads? How had the people of Israel taken this verse? How have they acted on this verse? And, don't, and you can't blame them. We've all done this, right? Every, every kid in here has said, mom said we can't do that. And the other one says, yeah, but she didn't say we couldn't do that, right? Anybody with me on this? We do this all the time. And so they were looking at that verse, and they were saying, oh, don't bear a grudge against anyone among your people. Love your name. It doesn't say love my enemy, which means therefore, apparently we have all the right in the world to hate our enemy. 
That's what they've been doing. That's the way they've been acting. And Jesus was not dumb. He pointed that right out to him. said, you've heard it said this. You never heard that from the Bible. You heard that from what you have decided you wanted it to say. Right? So that's what he said to them. That's the first thing that's very interesting, and that will come up again. The second thing about this when I was reading it is I'm sitting there going, okay, how do I love my enemy? This is going to be so hard. I hate talking about this. Everybody's heard about it, and we always hate it. But he gives us the secret to doing it. Right in the verse, right at the end. He says in one line, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's all we have to do is be perfect. Done. We're out of here. Awesome. Okay. Um, I don't know about you. That doesn't sound as easy as he made it sound, right? Um, No one is perfect, and some of us are quite a ways away. So I've got a long ways to go before, you know, we call my wife Mary Poppins. I actually have a picture of her with Mary Poppins at Disney World because she's practically perfect in every way. We've been saying that for years. It's totally true. (laughs) But the rest of us, we got some climbing to do. So what does this really mean? The secret there, maybe it's not to be perfect. Maybe it's the same secret that helps in so many aspects of our walk, of our life down here. Anytime we're stuck, the answer a lot of times is the same answer as it is for our enemies, which is let's try to be more like Jesus, right? That's what this is really about is we're not going to try to love our enemies today. We're going to try to be more like Jesus because think about it. Love your enemies? That's ridiculous. It's just, if not impossible, ridiculous because you're telling me to love my enemies. You guys, as soon as I said love your enemies, every one of you had somebody at least one name pop into your head, right? I know afterwards, Bill came up to me afterwards. He goes, I had four names pop in my head. Is that a problem? <laughs> After first service, that's what he said. I said, well, Bill. <laughs> so, um, we have our enemies. An enemy is someone who has set themselves against us, right? Backstabbed us, lied about us, cheated us, stolen from us, simply doesn't want to like us. That's our enemy. And it's, I'm sorry, Lord, it's ridiculous to say love them. It's not in my nature. I can't just go and say, oh, yeah, okay, I can do that. It doesn't work that way. So what we're going to try to do instead today is we're going to try to be more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, I'm really hoping things will work out the way we want it to, okay? So first point that I have, I told you we have a couple of ideas today that we're going to talk about and try to investigate. The first one up here is what is our focus? Okay, what are you focused on? Think about that for a minute. We just did a series here um, at the church on Wednesdays for the men's group. The youth, um, the youth did it too. It was called the Conqueror Series. A number of you guys were there, right? Yeah. Um, in that series, it was all about getting over addictions. It was about getting over sexual bondages um, and things of that nature. And I actually really enjoyed it. You know, I was there to bring my boys to it and make sure that we had a real good, you know, always, we're always hitting them on what's going to hit them in the future, you know. And so we're there. And what just hit me that really soaked in is repeatedly, they talked about it in this class, repeatedly they would say something to the effect of, you will never be able to break an addiction through effort. Repeatedly it said that. And and it was just like, uh, you know, more effort never means more success. Never does. We can't do that. And the more I focus on it, they actually said this in the class, I I don't know if anybody else have caught it, I was like, whoa, that just hit me is they said, the more we focus on what we're telling ourselves not to do, I will not look at porn, I will not be angry, I will not uh, be, you know, this or this, the more we sit there and say that, all we're doing is running it through our heads, and we're concentrating and focusing on the same exact thing we're trying not to focus on. 
That's all we're doing. And so that hit me when I was talking about love your enemies because I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those guys that gets a scenario in my head. And I run through that baby over and over and over again. Am I the only one or does anybody else do this? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Not either. <laughs> okay. I'm not the only one. Um, I, uh, I, lost, I lost a job a while back because I made a rel- relatively small mistake. I did make a mistake. But this person, there was a person in leadership that blew this baby up. Complete, flat-out lied, said things that were untrue, went nuts with this, and literally, you know, filled a dagger in your back, took it up there. I ended up losing my job. I even lost my reputation to some extent. And I was devastated. Who's ever been devastated by an enemy? Yeah, by a betrayal or a backstab or lies. Yeah, and I was tore up over this to the point where I was so hurt, I ran through that scenario with what that person said, with what I said, with what the other leadership said, with what the, in, you know, the individuals, every single person involved and 10 others, I went through in my head on what could I have done different? What, how did this happen? How could this person? Oh, my goodness, it was, it was exhausting. Okay? And I did this for, what, years? Three, four years that this was going through my head. And it was, it was just so rough because my focus was there, right? I'm focusing on this, and it's tearing me up. How do we change that focus? How do we stop running those scenarios through our head? Because I'm not the only one that does that. How do we get over something like that? Let me give you an example from the Word, one of my favorite examples. Um, I have uh, a little bit of the, of the uh, chapter up here. This is from Stephen. And it's from Acts 7, and it's really a long, uh, a long section of, uh, of Scripture there. So I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of explain. Or for you Princess Bride people, there's too much. I will sum up. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so in this, part, in this story right here, Stephen, who was a man, the Bible starts it off saying, a man full of the Holy Spirit. That's all it says. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. That's how he is described. He's out preaching, doing miracles, and re- reaching people for the Lord. That's all he's doing. Sanhedrin don't like that. The priests don't like that. It's against what they believe. They drag him to the Sanhedrin. And at this point here, he has just finished going through their entire history of the Jewish people and the prophets. Okay, now in this, in this story, this is basically what those Sanhedrin had been memorizing since they were little kids. All of them knew every word that he said. And he was just Joe Schmo. So he's doing this on purpose to rub their noses in it and to snub them and to say, you guys have given up your own tenets of faith. You guys are breaking your own law. And then, of course, because he's Stephen, he's a little feisty. Most of us Christians are. He says at the end, you stiff-necked, uncircumcised hypocrites who do nothing but sit around and kill prophets, in essence. Oh, they're mad. That's game over. Right? They're ready to stone him. They're ready to grab him outside. They got rocks in their hands, and they're heading towards him. And he looks up right there in this room, and the heavens open, and he sees Jesus standing next to the Father. And, of course, he says it. I see the Lord. I see Jesus standing right by the Father. I see the glory of God. Now they're livid. Now they're incensed. The Bible says his face was shining like an angel. They drag him out. They got rocks. They start throwing him at him. They're doing, they're killing him. He's their enemy. They can't stand this guy. It's game over. But it says he never takes his eyes off of the Lord. He keeps looking up and he sees Jesus. These enemies mean nothing to him. Nothing. What can they do to me when I'm sitting here getting hurt and pummeled, but all I can see is where I'm about to go? I'm about to, who I'm about to be with. You guys with me? 
This is what he's looking at. And I know Jesus is standing up there because he's looking. This is current time. Jesus is standing up there looking down at him, and he's going, big smile on his face, and says, yeah, come with me. Those enemies can't do a thing to him. His focus is completely changed. He has no recollection of what's going on in them. He doesn't care a lick about this. All he says is, I'm going to be with Jesus, and this is good. That's that change of that focus that we need to do. And in our hearts, it's not easy because human nature wants to keep holding on, right? But we're going to talk about how we can do this because once I can change my focus to the Lord, I let Jesus in. And when I let Jesus in, he starts to change me, right? He starts to change. That leads me to our second point. We're going to talk about after we get our focus changed, we got to change something else. And this is even harder. And that is what compels you. Talk about a word we hate, right? Anybody like the word compel? We're Americans, man. We hate that word. We're all about freedom, right? Yeah. You make me do what? Hey, I don't do that. But we're all compelled, are we not? Children, are you not compelled by your mom to clean your room once in a while? Come on. Yep, yep. Yeah. They make you do that. They force you to eat your vegetables. They force you to be nice to that smelly kid down the street, right? They force you to go to bed on time. Turn off that game and go to bed. Do they make you do that, Sayla? Yeah, she's grinning huge. Yeah, they make me do that. Okay. Um, just so you know, kids, don't worry about it. You're going to grow up, and it only gets worse. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. When you grow up, you get to find out that everybody has compelling to do on you, man. You get force me to drive the speed limit, force me to pay my taxes, force me to wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning to go into work and then stay there till 5, even if I'm actually done with my job at 4, right? I still have to stay there. I'm forced by everybody. I'm being compelled all the time. But what else can compel me? My addictions can compel me. My sin can compel me. If I let the devil in, he's going to throw everything under the sun at me to compel me. My so-called friends might try to compel me, right, teenagers? To do things I shouldn't do. I'm being compelled at all times. I mean, think about our commercials. All they are is suggestion, 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 because they haven't figured out how to quite compel us yet. That's all it is, right? That's our entire world, is something is always trying to compel us. And our answer is, I can't fight that stuff off. I can't love my enemies out of the blue. What was our goal? What was our secret? To be more like Jesus. Thank you. So we're going to talk about Jesus here. What compelled or who compelled Jesus? Was Jesus compelled? Yeah, he actually was compelled a couple of times. Um, if you read his ministry, a couple of times he was compelled. One time, yeah, cameras look at me. Really? Yep. He was compelled in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's up there on his knees praying out to his father. Blood pouring out of his forehead because he's so stressed out. And he says, Lord, if there's any chance you can take this away from me, take this cup away, then do so. But if not, your will be done. Okay? So let's talk about what compelled him. He comes down out of Gethsemane. He walks down. And we did a whole big thing in kids' church on this. I had them all acting it out, right? So we did this exact, uh, uh, the whole compelling. We did that in kids' church. To, just so you know, we do in our kids' church, with it's, you know, under all of us and Noah and the first, the first uh, service, everybody we don't play games with your kids. We do, but that's not what it's focused on. We don't babysit your kids. Amen. We're here specifically to teach them about Jesus. And we do the same preaching that you're getting in here. We do it in kids' church, okay? Um, so I wanted you guys to know that because that's what you're bringing them here for us to do is to actually just train them and disciple them up. And just like Jen said, she has a discipleship class. That's what our kids' church is. It's a discipleship class. 
So back to the story. Um, Jesus comes down, wakes up the disciples, gets them up and says, get up. The bad guys are coming. So he walks down with them. And who's coming? Judas and a whole host. Depending on which gospel you look at, it says a mob, it says a host, it says a contingent. Depending on which one you look at, we know it was not a couple of dudes. It was not the sheriff and his posse. It was actually a full-on group of Roman soldiers that he brought with him, with the priests and with the authorities. So this is a group. So Judas comes up, and Judas is trying to compel him. Now, there's some, I'm not sure to this day, I'm not sure if he's trying to compel him to the cross, or if he's trying to compel him to break out and be the king that Judas thought he would be. Because a lot of people have a discussion on that. That's kind of what I think he was trying to do, was trying to make, basically make Jesus be the king he wants him to be. Um, but did Judas have any ability to compel Jesus? Jesus told him the day before he was going to betray him. Jesus didn't have to come to that place where Judas knew he was going to be. Jesus could have wandered off to the Mediterranean and went for a swim. He came there knowing that Judas was going to betray him. Okay? Judas had no control. Well, what about the soldiers? This was a group of soldiers. In fact, most theologians think that this was at least a century, if not a full cohort, of Roman soldiers that they brought. A century is 80 fighting men. 80 fighting men. 100 men, 80 of them are fighters. Um, a cohort could be up to 480 fighting men in a Roman uh, cohort at that time. Okay? Um, this is not just a couple of dudes. This is a big group of soldiers. And they're coming with their swords, and they're coming, and they're ready to go. they got the priests, right? They walk up to Jesus. Can they compel Jesus? Well, let's see what happens. And John, he walks out, and he says to them, who are you looking for? And he said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus takes a step forward and says, I am he. And the next verse, it says, and they drew back and fell down. Hallelujah. Okay. They're not compelling him. Now, there's a, there's a big, uh, I told him in the first service, there's, there's, there's a big raging internet, you know, theologian discussion on this at all times because some of us believe that there was a cosmic power when Jesus said, I am, and he knocked them down. And others believe, oh, no, that, that doesn't make sense. There's nothing that says that. So they just, they just took a step back or something. I'm a big fan of the first theory, mainly because he says the same I am. He says, ego and me. The same I am, he said, when they, when, the, when they was in front of them before the crucifixion, and they said, who are you? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Right? The same thing in the burning bush, I am. Okay? So I believe that cosmic power came out, and it, I mean, there's, there's 80 guys to 100 to 400 guys there. They're not going to fall backwards just because some dude stands up. Mm -mm. They're doing this. And then the other side of it, I love, this, I love to just say this, is Peter grabs a sword. Chops off a dude's ear, right? In that same story. Now, we all know Peter's a little reckless, okay? There's a little brash right there, but there's a difference between being reckless and being suicidal. And to take on a whole host of Roman soldiers with your sword and 10 fishermen, you're not going to do that unless you just saw the power of God at work, right? So I believe that when Jesus stood up, he let just a little bit of God come out of him. Let them know, you got no authority over me whatsoever, right? And he turns to Peter and he says, Peter chops off his ear. He simply heals the person's ear and says, don't you take this cup from me. I've already fought this with my father. I've already talked to him. That's my cup. He says, don't you think that if I wanted to, I could say, Lord, send me some help, and God would send 12 legions of angels right now on the spot, okay? Again, using the Roman time at the, at the time, a legion had about, uh, had 5,240 fighting men in it if it was full, about 6,000 total 
5,240 fighting men at the time. That would mean 63,000 angels. Well, it took one angel to wipe out Sennacherib's army of 185,000 people. I'm fairly certain 63,000 angels could have got the job done. Okay? <laughs> so, are these guys compelling him at all? No, they're not sending him to the cross. Who or what sent Jesus to the cross? He didn't want to go. For a little bit there, he didn't want to go. He said, Lord, if there's a way. But he said, your will be done. So one thing and one thing only sent him to the cross, and that was the love of God. Yes. Right? So what compelled him was his love for us. Okay? That is the power that we have to get inside of us right now. If we're going to get over this thing with the, this world that we're in, this enemies that are everywhere, we want to see them in a different light. We've got to come to the realization that it's God's love that compels us. Take a, I should really apologize for not putting this verse on here um, up for a slide. So pay attention to this. Write this down. Romans 5.8, powerful verse. says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, which means until we ask Jesus into, his heart, into our hearts, we're his enemy. His enemies are who hung him on that cross. Okay? We are the enemies of Jesus until we meet him, until we give him dominion in our lives. Okay? So he loved us anyway. Even though we were his enemies, he loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. Before we have him in our hearts, this is why. This is why, this is why you're over there in the Congo begging people to know Jesus. This is why you're preaching every single week. She does an altar call. Every week she says, if you don't know Jesus, find somebody and talk to them. We want you to know Jesus. And the reason is... And, we don't want to be his enemy. We want to be compelled by the love of God. And once we have Jesus in our heart, once we become his, he starts to work in us, right? His love will start to change us and compel us. And it will compel us towards compassion. It will compel us towards forgiveness. And not just of the people that we care about, he'll actually compel us to care about and to forgive and to feel compassion for the people we don't want to, for the people that we would consider our enemies, Okay? The more the Lord is working through us, the more hard it is for us to hold hate in our hearts, which is awesome, which is awesome. Okay? I was telling you that story about how I, was, how I run those scenarios through my head, man. Well, this, this, this was a good, man, six months, nine months, even a year later, and I'm still just running this through my head on different times, and I, I'm going to get better. But I, I got so hurt that I literally had trouble understanding that it wasn't God that did it to me. Anybody been there? Couldn't separate God from what was happening to me. Because I'm like, well, God, man, you know, like you said, does God, we have to know God loves us? Man, I didn't even know. I was to the point I'm like, maybe he doesn't even love me. I've been to that point. And enemies will take you there faster than anything because the best weapon the devil, the best weapon I've ever seen the devil have out of all the weapons he uses, in my opinion, offense is number one. He loves to use offense, okay? And you get offended and it just, ooh, just eats you up. So I'm sitting there going this, and I'm ranting and railing, and this is a year after it happened, and I'm still going, and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm going, man, I can't believe it said this, and I'm still like, and I'm still mad at this person for believing it, I'm mad at this person for not checking the truth, and I'm doing this, and I'm going through this stuff, and I look over at my wife who's sitting in the kitchen, and she looks all sad. And of course, my first thought is she looks sad because she feels bad for me. <laughs> totally untrue. Didn't feel bad for me at all. So I look at her, and I say, what's the matter? And she goes, don't you feel bad for him? And I said, for who? <laughs> exactly like that. I said, for who? She goes, for him. I, 
how, why would I feel bad for him? He did, I didn't do anything, to, nothing to that person. Zip. Just like Stephen did nothing to these guys. I didn't do anything. She goes, I know, but he's trapped. And I'm like, what? And she has this compassion. She says he's trapped in anger and in judgment and in pride and in loneliness. And I just went, man, you just take, you just take the fun out of everything. I can't even be mad anymore. <laughs> that's my wife, man. <laughs> so that's her. So now, you know, everybody that knows my wife, they know that she's a few notches higher than me when it comes to the whole heavenly chapter already. So she's climbing that ladder a little quicker. But um, it's, it's that is that focus, that love, that compelling that I've got to get in my heart, right? Because she could see the compassion. She could see this person the way Jesus sees this person, which is I got to get them better, right? That's what that's about. We cannot... Love our enemies unless we can forgive our enemies. We have to forgive them. We can't forgive them until God's forgiven us, right? God has to forgive us first. So once we have Jesus in our heart, we finally have the ability to let that go, to forgive others, okay? Then, then compelling, which the definition of compelling is force someone to do something. I want to be compelled by God and his love, not by everything else, okay? So I'm going to end this with, a, um, with just one more story. I usually don't do three Bible stories for the kids. I always do one Bible story to make it real big so they know all of it because I want it to stick, you know, for 20 years in their lives. Um, so I'm throwing a little bit extra. But this is one of the kids' favorite stories. They absolutely love this one, uh, mainly because there's pottying in it. But, <laughs> but it's a great story. So I'm going to talk about this one right now, and uh, it's really fun. The kids love to act this one out. Let me tell you. No, okay. um, there was a man in the Bible who the Bible says he had a man after God's own heart. One man, they said that about in the Bible. He had a man, he was, had a heart after God's own heart. Most of you know who I'm talking about, but picture this. Picture a young David who has done nothing in his life except serve the Lord, serve his king, do the best that he could do. That's all he did. And the king decides he's a bad guy. I don't like him. He gets jealous of the kid. He starts to hate the kid. He starts to let this fester. And the next thing you know, the kids, the king's decided, he's it. I'm done. I got to kill this guy. And he sends his armies off to kill David and his little band of followers there. And he sends them out. And they, for the next decade, they start chasing them around the hills in the desert. David's running away, hiding, praying. And if you read the Psalms, those Psalms where he is saying he's surrounded by his enemies at the first of Psalms there, and he just can't feel the Lord... This is where he's at. He's in a rough place. He's not just going, okay, Lord, we'll go to the next place. It's a rough place. And his enemy is after him. And finally, after a long time, he's in that cave, and he's hiding in the back of the cave where it's pitch black. And the entire army of Saul is down below. They're outside, and David and his men are there going, oh, my goodness, we are talking about backed into a corner. They come in here with torches. It's game over. They're going to see us. They're not happy. They're not just hanging out playing Scrabble. They're, they're scared back there, Okay. And they see, they hear the footsteps coming up. And oh my gosh, somebody's coming, someone's coming. This is it, we're done for. And they see these guards come up. They actually see the king himself in the light of the opening of the cave. The king is coming. Oh, he knows we're here. But all of a sudden, not what they thought. The king comes in, leaves the guards at the door, walks into the cave by himself, back in there where it's dark enough that the guards can't see him. He's probably 20 feet from David and his guys. He turns around. Drops his pants. Okay. David's sitting there with his mouth going, whoa, whoa, this is different. 
The king just came up, dropped his drawers, and squatted right in front of me. Holy, Lord, is this from you? This is what's going through David's mind, right? And the, the men in there are with him, and they're going, this is it. This is the miracle. Remember, Samuel anointed you to be the next king. You're supposed to be the next king. He doesn't want Saul anymore. You're the chosen one. He's like Neo, right? You're the chosen one. You're the one that's going to save the people. You're going to lead the people. This is, all a, this is a miracle from God. He's given your enemy into your hands. How many times have you heard Psalm say that? Deliver my enemy into my hands. He just did that. He delivered his enemy into his hands. He's sitting there 20 feet in front of him. So David says, thank you, Lord, and he starts to approach him. Now, I don't know, I, tell, uh, I do it differently. I, everything's visual for me, and I'm, I'm a kid's person. So I'm picturing him on his stomach doing a military crawl, heading up towards him. He's got to be super quiet, right? Heading up towards a military crawl. He's got his dagger in his, in his teeth. You know, thanks, God, I'm going to kill this bad guy. It's awesome. And he's going up there, and he's crawling up there. But as he's getting closer to the king, he can see his robe. He can see the royal robes thrown out behind him. He can probably smell them, maybe hear them too. But he's got the royal robe out there, right? And as he's getting closer, he's a man after God's own heart. David's a man after God's heart. He sees people the way God sees them. Can't help it. God compels him. So he's crawling up and he sees this robe and he looks at this man who's been trying to kill him for 10 years. And he can't see an enemy. He sees his king. He sees the man that was anointed to be king over Israel. Can't do it. Can't do it. Says he, says he crawls up close enough to be right there. He cuts off a corner of his robe. Goes back to his men. His men go, what was that? You had him in your hands. He's not my enemy. He's my king. He actually says, woe is me to harm one hair on the head of the man who was anointed to be king over Israel. He's my king, and he's the chosen of the Lord. He actually feels guilty for cutting off the piece of his robe. That is seeing him in a different light. That is seeing him the way Jesus sees him. Okay? When Stephen was dying, when Jesus was dying, they're both up there getting literally on their death throes. What is it that Jesus says to the Lord about the people? Come on, say it with me. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. And what does Stephen say? Stephen's got, you know, two more rocks left and he's dead. What does he say? Do not hold this sin. He knows it's sin. Do not hold this sin against them. They know what's going on. David knows he's been unjustly, unjustly chased and, and battered and beaten for 10 years, right? We know when our enemies do things to us, if it's on purpose, they probably are being unjust. And she'll talk about that a little bit more. We, sometimes we don't do anything wrong. And the enemy just has it in for you. Okay? It's not our fault. But what we have to do is we have to say, Lord, I'm not going to choose to love my enemy today. I'm going to choose to let you love me. And your forgiveness come through me. And let that forgiveness come out and reach the people that are around me. Whether I care for them or not, they're still your children. So let's talk uh, just about, Lord, need you, right? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for being here. I thank you so much that your love is stronger than the enemy's weapons. That you love us more than we hate others. Father, that you want to clean that hate out of our hearts, that anger out of our hearts, that jealousy, whatever it is, Lord God, you want to make us more like you. And as we become more like you, we learn that this world is nothing 
that we're going to be with you, that we're going to sit up and look up and see you sitting by the right hand of the Father, and we're going to rejoice. And Father, please touch our hearts now, everyone in this room. Father, I know that I need it too. I still hold grudges, and help me not to do that anymore. Help me instead to focus on the love of Jesus. Be in our hearts today, and be big in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Jody's going to come up. We're going to do communion today. We did teach the kids about it last week. Thank you, Noah. <laughs> and uh, we're going to go from there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Can you guys just thank him? That was a really good word. So you guys can come forward and pass out the, the elements. Um, you know, as, as Michael was talking about this, and as he said, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And a lot of times people will say that, um, you know, I'm really hungry for the meat of the word. You know, I don't want this milk anymore. I want the meat of the word. And I just want to say that just because we talk about forgiveness a lot. Thank you, Kimo. And just because we hear about forgiveness often, it is still the meat. This is the foundation of our Christianity. This is... This is what it is all surrounded by. And I know, I, I want to acknowledge that, that whoever that person was that came to your mind as Michael was talking, whoever that person is that has hurt you or offended you or offended you, um, whoever that person is, there's a choice that has to be made. And Michael said, you know, we can't choose to love, but we can choose to forgive and we must choose it is a choice and a decision that you have to make and I want to say that what that person did to you was wrong most of the time when we need to forgive most of the time it is because there has been something that has been done to us so it, it forgiveness in no way endorses people sinning against you or abusing you or lying about you or m even misrepresenting or misunderstanding you. But there has to be a choice that we make so that we are set free so that person no longer has control over us. Are you guys willing to do that this morning? Anybody? Okay, there's three. That's good. That's a good start. But it's so critical if we want to walk in freedom with the Lord. I, I'll be honest with you. I was, I was sitting here during, during Michael's conversation with us. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I just want to say this. Forgiveness goes in layers sometimes. Depending on the severity of the offense. If someone cuts you off on the freeway, you can, you can forgive them pretty readily. But if you've lived under abuse for years or you've been violated in, in any way, it can take a long time. You have to forgive again and again and again. And you have to continue to make the decision that I am no longer going to hold on to this. I do not have the right. I am going to forgive this person. And when you do that, God will set you free. And as I sat here this morning, there was someone who had hurt me very, very deeply. And I knew 
forgave him for real. Like the last layer was peeled off. And I knew that I was free of that. And I could see that person again as someone God loves and as someone that I can love. So can we set our hearts to do that? Can we not cling to our own rights so much that we're willing to forfeit intimacy with God? Can we let go, let go of the offense? And as we take the elements, as we take this little wafer, recognize that Jesus Christ was God who became a human being, lived a perfect life, and offered himself up so that we could be reconciled with our maker. He went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins so that we could know the Lord, that we could live not only abundant lives now, but that we could live through into eternity with God. So can we stand up and take this little wafer, Lord? We, we offer this up to you as a symbol of your body that was broken for us. Lord, of the, of the one thing, Lord, that we could not do for ourselves, Lord, we could never pay the penalty for our own sins. But God, you loved us so much that you sent your only son to die in our place so that we could have peace with you and that we could walk with you. And so, Lord, we just lift up these wafers. We thank you for being broken for us. And we take this now in your name, Jesus. Let's take it. And Lord, we lift up this cup. And Jesus, you said, even of us, you ask the Father to forgive us. For we know not what we are doing. Lord, and so because of the blood that was poured out so that we could be reconciled, that we could be purified and cleansed and forgiven, Lord, because of that, we lift up this cup to you and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. If you are a person, you have never encountered this God of love that we've been talking about today. If you have never known forgiveness, if you have never experienced the freedom that comes through forgiveness, I just want to ask you at the end of this, please come and talk to me or talk to Jen or get talk to Bruce back there, get talk to Pete. There's a lot of people or whoever it is that brought you. Tell them, say, I want to know more about this forgiving and this loving God. The gospel message is this. We have all sinned. Each and every one of us, we have fallen short of God. We are not perfect. None of us are perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. He went to the cross so that we could be born again of his spirit. He died for us so that we could have eternal life. That is the gospel. And if Jesus is revealing himself to you today, if you are sensing that he, he's tugging on your heart, I just want to ask you, talk to the person that brought you or talk to somebody here and just tell them that you want to make this decision to surrender and to, and to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Okay? Well, Lord, I just pray for these people, God. I just pray for your blessing. I pray for your peace. I pray for your protection. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus, God, that you would bring each and every one of us closer and deeper and into a more profound 
walk with you. Lord, that we would be well aware of your presence and of your spirit leading us and guiding us into all truth. Lord, give us opportunities to share with those who are broken and hurting. Lord, give us a boldness, a holy boldness to share the good news that you died for them, for their sins. And I just ask that you would pour out that boldness. Make us more like you. Teach us to love those who don't love us back. Teach us to love those who, who are even intent on hurting us, Lord. Make us more like you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Next week, we're going to talk about something really fun. We're talking about heavenly treasures. So see you then. God bless you.